Welcome to Under the Fig Tree Podcast. In today's episode, hosts Reverend Micah Glenn and Reverend Dr. Ben Haupt sit down with a special guest as they meditate under the fig tree. What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome back once again to another episode of Under the Fig Tree. Uh, I am your host, Reverend Micah Glenn, the Director of Recruitment here at Concordia Seminary, always joined by my highly esteemed co-host, Dr. Ben Haupt. How are you doing today, bro? I'm good. Uh, we have uh, the, uh, kind of a, a, a thing for later on in the episode. We, we actually found figs yeah. on campus. We remembered and um, I don't know if they're edible, but we both, <laughs> but we're going to try to eat them. <laughs> we did, we we, did bring um, them along. We brought, we each brought one. And um, by the end of the episode, we will take a bite. Okay. So um, I feel like one of those podcasters that's like, watch the entire episode yeah. and wait until the end. And, I'm not yeah. going to lie. I did not pick that anticipating you saying that um but you know oh you're gonna take you've, you've baited me in yeah. uh, i'm here for it it's not gonna kill me right. uh so anyway uh you know when i do the introduction uh you know you have things running in your mind and i almost always call myself reverend doctor because I, I have it in my mind that that's the direction i'm going and i like the sound of it uh but not yet anyway that is the direction you're going. We are joined by a Reverend Doctor, Reverend Doctor David Lewis. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah, yeah. And you've been a guest. This is now your third time. Yeah, I, I think I was with you guys. We went over a chapter of Titus. Yep, yeah. back in the early days. And of, then we the did the. Uh, then we did the parable of the automatic seed from Mark chapter four. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. I, I feel like we did a couple because there's like three short yeah, ones yeah, in we, a row. Yeah, yeah. But that's my favorite parable. So okay. That's well, it, that that series we did on Titus, I think, was like the first time we were like, let's do a, a thing. And we picked a pastoral epistle. And if I'm like thinking about myself reflecting as a podcaster, I think that's probably when we began to hit our stride. Yeah. A little yeah, bit. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. If if uh, if you just started watching us on YouTube, uh, you can go back and we have two seasons on platforms uh the the spotify or, yeah. or apple podcasts and we we did a, a series through uh titus and then we did another series through um the parables in the new testament yep yeah and, and you, you joined us for both and we we asked you for very specific reasons uh well first because you're a language professor here at the seminary and you teach the new testament yes and and both of those were in the new testament not because we only read the new testament but you know the parables and the pastoral epistles are both right. in the New Testament. Yes, they are. Yeah, <laughs> by coincidence. Uh, but but you teach Greek. We've we've talked about that before. Uh, I had you as a Greek student. Yep. Back I mean, in, well, you had me as a Greek student. Yeah, back in 2011 when uh, I started the seminary. We got I think a 98 on the the final test on the qualifier. I'll take the praise. I, re I remember that. <laughs> I, I I love the languages. They're yeah. they're so good, and I love languages period. But uh, once you can, communicating with people and, and their tongue and having that ability, not that I, I tell people all the time, they ask me if I can speak in Hebrew and Greek, and the answer is no. <laughs> Although but, there's, uh, there are some people on our campus that are, uh, that are trying to get after that, not Hebrew so much yet, but um, definitely Greek and, and Latin. No, Dr. Um, David Maxwell has been doing his live Greek He's been able to teach it in the Greek lab a few times, and yeah. 
he's doing it this winter, and I've got a couple of summer Greek students who are planning to, uh, you know, take that as an elective. Yeah. And where they, um, yeah. Well, th- this could be controversial, but uh, uh, I think there probably is some value in this. But Doctor. Uh, Dr. Veltz, Dr. James Veltz, who wrote the grammar we use, he said, "Yeah, it's real helpful if you want to go to some Greek island and interact with the people, <laughs> you know." And so, and he and he takes part in the uh, at Society of Biblical Literature. There's like a spoken Greek section where they try to perform in Greek, and his general attitude is. Um, it's he doesn't think it's all that helpful. In other words, we ought to be learning the grammar to read the text. Yeah. And uh, so I neither you know I can read the New Testament, but I don't speak Greek either. I read aloud the the Greek of the New Testament. I wouldn't mind learning Greek. Yeah. You know, modern Greek, but Koine Greek is not the Greek being spoken. Nope. Yeah. Well, if, if our listeners or uh, viewers yeah. want want something entertain entertaining, and they they know a little bit about uh, Dr. Jim Veltz, um, watching David Maxwell's Dr. Maxwell's presentation at our most recent symposium, and then listening especially to Dr. Veltz's uh, remarks after yeah. his right. presentation, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was kind of like two worlds colliding yes. and two um, two great great minds yes. uh, who both love. Uh, the scriptures and the Lutheran confessions, but have very different ideas about uh, how we should learn languages and how languages work. And neither of them, let's just say, neither of them are slouches. Maxwell is, Veltz obviously wrote the textbook, Fundamental Greek Grammar. Maxwell is translating all this uh, stuff from Cyril. Uh, out of the Greek. Well, Dr. Veltz also also wrote our hermeneutics book. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. And two volumes on the Gospel of Mark. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which Sand I think was is, your doctoral. Yeah, he was my doctor father, father. so I'm a yeah. little biased towards him. Uh, we had a, a member of the Board of Regents sit in on my present hermeneutics class. Oh, sure. And and I asked the question. So, uh, just you know, he was he said, "Do oh, you guys do Veltz?" And I said, "Yeah." And, and then I said, "Do I like Veltz?" And they're all. Yes, you know, everybody just erupted, and it's like, okay, you know. And I said, do I agree with him all the time? They're all, no, you yeah. know, but, but you, you definitely love him, you know. And he's my doctor father, and I would say uh, probably the most important teacher I've ha- ever had in my life. And sure. Yeah. So uh, I think, what was that, Green and Gold Follies, when I was in Celebrity Jeopardy, uh, the announcer said that I was into all things Veltz, and I said, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, he wrote the grammar. He wrote the commentaries on Mark. He wrote the hermeneutics book. He wrote all the stuff that I teach. Right. So you know, but uh, but but David Maxwell is no slouch in Greek either. Oh, no, that's right. Yeah, he's kind of a giant, I think. Yeah. And translating Gospel of John from Cyril. Yeah. Uh, I think he's producing his own grammar on Cyril's Greek. Right. Um, and uh, he and I have had a lot of conversations about you know the translation choices he makes. But they do not agree on how the languages should be taught. So, well, so I have a, a friend looking at uh, becoming a pastor, and uh, he's looking ahead, and he's like talking about Greek. Is there? He's like, is there a way I could get a head start on Greek? And I was like, well, there's there is an online class that you can pay for. Uh, I was like, but. I was like, I'll say this. I was like, there are different grammars, and I was like, because uh, my wife Dorothy took Greek at Concordia Chicago, and they use Manchin, Manchin, yeah. right. which is a different grammar and people like mentioned for different reasons. I was like, but, but I was like, I learned Greek at the seminary. So Dorothy had ideas about Greek and she was trying to help me along. I started to take Greek here at the seminary. And then, you know, the order of how things are taught are different. I was like, and that's significant. I was like, now having learned from 
Veltz. I was like, I, I, I think his order is right. Yeah, and let's <laughs> talk about some of the differences <laughs> yeah, okay. because I think this is um, this is a really interesting episode for me because for for those of, of our our viewers, listeners that are thinking about coming to seminary, they know probably that um, languages are a big deal, not only for our um, future pastoral students, but but also uh, even a lot of deaconess students and certainly a lot of grad students yeah. um, need to take Greek and Hebrew. So so let's talk a little bit about some of the differences. So um, with learning Greek, one thing is a pronunciation, right? There are differing pronunciations, and and Veltz has some specific uh, specific thoughts on that, right? Yes, he does. And um, and it's interesting if you read chapter one, that's where he talks about the diphthongs. Yep. And what, uh, now, what's a diphthong? A diphthong so, is any two vowels that come together, and it's really in Greek, it's one open vowel, one closed vowel that come together and make a single sound. Yep. And so, like in English. Uh, we have these, uh, you have an O and an I, oi, mm-hmm. right, the two, and then you have uh, an A and an I together, I, uh, E, I, A. Um, the same phenomenon occurs in Greek. There's a number of diphthongs that are pretty much identical to the English diphthong, same pronunciation. And what Dr. Veltz does is he has in the text a pronunciation for two diphthongs, and then in the footnote, an alternate pronunciation, yep. and it's the continental pronunciation versus, I guess, the English-American pronunciation. And then when he teaches Greek, he goes with his footnote. Uh, when I teach Greek, I go with the text because that's what I learned um, originally. I didn't learn from Veltz's book. I learned from Machen sure. uh, yeah. originally. And then when Dr. Veltz got his call to come to Concordia, I went on vicarage that next year, and I had a feeling he was going to become the big Greek guy. And so this shows, I guess, what a language nerd I am. Uh, I bought a copy of his uh, F- Fundamental Greek Grammar. This is like the first edition, sure. uh, where the print looked like it just came out of a computer. It was not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and part of my daily devotions, this may sound bad, is I, I read through his grammar while on Vicarage. You know, I did a, translated a chapter of Hebrew every day. Uh, trans, I, I always preached on the gospel. That's the only gospel the pastor would let me preach on. So I'd, I'd read the gospel texts in Greek, mm-hmm. and then I would study Veltz's grammar. And this is what I found. This is a difference between the two grammars, at least. Machen tended to present the paradigms, and there'd be some explanation, but not a lot. And so I found I'd learn the paradigms, forget the paradigms, learn the paradigms, forget the paradigms, because there was no method, there was no reason for why they were that way. And what Veltz does in chapters 3 and 4 is he explains the nature of the Greek verb as stem, connecting, vowel, and ending. Yep. And my dad was an engineer. I think I've got that in mind. As soon as I understood how all the parts come together, bang, I never, I never forgot the paradigms again. And then nouns, stem plus ending, once it's like, oh, it was that simple. And, uh, and then his, uh, his take on aspect in his chapter 9, how the present stem works, especially in the imperfect. Right. Um, I was taught the imperfect is always just continuous progressive action. You know, so it'd be elepon. You know, I was leaving, mm-hmm. and I remember reading the text, and the imperfect doesn't always make sense that way. Yeah. And then I read chapter nine, and suddenly, bang! And I had had one class with Veltz, New Testament Isagogics two, which was in the old old curriculum, two curriculums ago, uh, and after reading just the first nine chapters of his book, I suddenly understood Greek so much better. Hmm. And so I kind of knew, uh, this is the guy I'm going to... 
when, when I go into the PhD program, this is the guy I want to study under. Yeah. Any one of us could say this, but so, so Dr. Belts did his PhD over in Cambridge. Yes. And his, his dissertation on research was he looked at and evaluated every uh, infinitive. Imperative. Imper- sorry, imperative yeah. in the New Testament. Yes. And this is where his, his present stem nuance come from, came from. He's like, you could always use a, a past tense or aorist stem right. in an infinitive. Why are they using a present tense? I keep saying infinitive, imperative. imperative so imperative. why are they using a, a present tense one? And all of this, these things that came on. So I took him for Greek readings and for a, uh, a lectionary class. And see, you sit at the feet of giants at this institution. And so when I'm translating Greek and I see an imperative in a present tense, I stop and I say, what's happening here? I just don't say... Just translate it as a command. Yeah, exactly. Like, loose this or go this way. It's like, why is it present tense? And then you start reading around it. And, yeah, that's chapter 32 of Fundamental Greek Grammar where he does the imperatives. That was his dissertation. And so he, I've heard him teach, I've sat in on him teaching Greek. And he's actually apologized for that chapter a few times okay. because it's so close to his heart mm. oh. that he wonders if he's giving too much information. You know, like, uh, you know, the infinitive chapter is not quite as long. You know, it's got a good introduction, but it's not quite as long as the imperative chapter. And his whole distinction between specified case right. commands and policy commands. Um, I always try to sell the students on that whenever we get to chapter 32. I bought it. This, I did, too. This past <laughs> summer, I think, just about it. This this first year class, they're they're awesome. It just shows me that we're getting smarter people than we were when mm-hmm. we came. You yeah. know, and uh, that's what we want. And it's like they they just sort of seem to get it. You know, usually people like ah, I don't care. Just it, it's a command. Sure. And these guys are. I just got a question today from one of our first year students about a Bible passage, and he's he's asking, is this a policy command? Mm. I got a feeling this is a policy command. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, and I wrote back, yeah, probably is. You know, look at that. And he said, so we should be paying attention to this still today. And I said, yeah, you know. So like mm-hmm. a specified case command would be when Jesus tells the paralytic, arise, take your bed, and go. Yep. You know, in other words, that's not a sign of Christianity that we all lay around on mattresses and then get up, take, pick our mattress up, and go somewhere. Yeah. But uh, when he says, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, mm. that's likely more in a policy situation. Yep. Yeah. And then, of course, which is the present imperative in that group? It's not deny yourself, that's aorist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not take up your cross, it's follow me, right. where you got suddenly a present imperative, which implies it, it means something, right? That's where mm-hmm. you, Micah, would be reading along, and, oh, why does he switch to a present imperative right here? Exactly. There's some, there's some meaning to this. Yep. Yeah. And I think the what this illustrates for, for people who might have have not yet studied Greek um, or any languages and are kind of like, whoa, uh, lots lots of uh, conversation going on that I, I don't understand is this is the richness of the scriptures. And, yeah. and it's, it's the change from just reading through the scriptures in English and kind of taking the translator's word for it. Right. And, and you know, you have ESV or NIV, and they have differences, and I think everybody, all Christians that have spent any mm-hmm. time reading the Bible know that, but how do they get these differences? Why these differences? And um, it's the exciting um, yeah. opportunity to... It's the difference, I've heard it said, uh, of watching a, a football game in on a standard black and white television or watching it in color, high def, 
Oh, uh, uh, Bells would say being at the game on the 50-yard right, line right, about yeah. 40 yards. So you don't want to be right on the field. You want to sit back a little bit so you can see all the action unfolding. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's very specific in where you're sitting watching the game. If yeah, you that's, know a, Greek. That's, his, that's his model <laughs> is uh, you know, watching on a black-and-white TV at home versus watching there. And it's not like watching on the TV you're getting a different game. In yeah. other words, the – yeah, the Rams still win, yeah. right? Yeah. Or can no, you no, still no, talk no, about no, the Rams? No, no, no. Rams right. are not winning yeah. at the moment. Okay, anyway. I know. I'm just they were my team because I grew up in Southern Cal. But sure. uh, but but you you know, you miss so much else going on on the field because the camera's focused usually on where the ball is, not on yeah you know, yeah like the foul. It, you know the guy you know, the guy uh, you know doing a penalty over on the side over here. Yeah. And now my model is I, th- I think Veltz is good, but he actually. Told me once that my model's better. Okay, and it's uh, I'm a film guy, and right? So, watching, reading the English text is like watching a film formatted for your TV, mm-hmm. right? Where they, you know, it's not the big rectangular cinescope, but they cut stuff out to fit it into the square box. Yeah. Now we got all these modern televisions that are rectangles, but uh, back in the day it was just that square. Versus watching a film. Uh, I would say in a theater on widescreen, mm. because the original director intended you not just to see the middle, but all this other stuff on the side, yeah. and to actually put that into television, you have to make decisions what you're going to cut out. Oh yeah, sure. And so, and so again, it's the same movie. Ben Hur wins the chariot race, even when it's formatted to fit your TV, but. You've never seen the chariot race from Ben Hur until you've watched it widescreen mm. on a big screen. Or yeah, you know, we can do that at home. There's so much you miss, and 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 especially the greatest directors, you know, they have the whole rectangle planned out what they want to you to see. And sometimes you miss, you may miss like stuff, and then the next time you see it, you say, "I didn't see that before." But formatted to fit your TV, you miss, miss so much. And that's the English translation; it's good. Yeah. But you ha- the translators have to make decisions. So that that imperfect is it. Uh, is it supposed to be progressive? I was leaving, or is habitual? it I, I tried to leave, or yeah. habitual? You know, I used to leave, and uh, they have to make a decision, and then making that decision, they cut it down. Yep. Uh, and so Veltz once told me, he said that's a better metaphor because mm. you actually have the translation going when you're cutting from widescreen to full screen. Well, as a, and as a student of both of you, I would probably say it's also getting the cuts. Yeah. Uh, that they have to leave out. Yeah. And so I, I'm right. A, because translators have to make decisions. Have, they have to make decisions. They have to make decisions. And, yeah. and so, uh, I'm a, I'm a big Marvel fan. Oh yeah. Right. My, my favorite character. I was wondering, I yeah. was going okay. to per- follow a store. Something that always comes into these discussions. Oh, oh always. Yeah. always. Okay. Well, you're not Star even going Wars, where I was going to go. Okay. So. Well, so the most recent film, Thor, Love and Thunder. Right. Excellent, by the way. If you have Disney Plus and you haven't watched it, what are you doing with your life? Uh, but but what didn't make it into the movie is, so they have like the kind of origin scenes for gore. But in the extended cuts, apparently there's there's a whole series oh, yeah. of how he becomes right. the god killer beyond that little garden. Mm. Uh, no spoilers. but And they had to leave that out because you only have so much time as well. And I, I can't, as, as time progresses, I'm like filmmakers like i think we've paid a lot of money to sit here i'll stay here for three and a half hours if it's if you can keep me there for three and a half hours that's that's a excellent metaphor too so now we got the original the released version is more like a translation than the director's cut and and so i would say reading the new testament and the greek is like attending the game live sitting yep you know sitting wherever you're supposed to be sitting it's like watching a film full screen 
And then it's like watching a, a film full screen with the director's cut, with those other scenes that um, he intended you to see that uh, translators, it's just translation, they have to make these choices. This is why we want our students uh, to, to study Greek and Hebrew. So Makes they, a better preacher and teacher. Yep. They can bring, as Veltz would say, take your people to the game. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and that's... And yeah. and that's what I what I was going to say is uh, you know for for um, Christians who are reading their English Bible that it is sufficient for it, salvation. It, you're gonna, you're right. still going to hear that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Yep. Um, but uh, beginning to understand the nuances of how Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell that story of Jesus' death is one kind of further. Um, a little bit deeper, and the, and and we maybe we should talk about narrative criticism here at some point too, because <laughs> uh, we could go down that that yeah. direction. But then the languages give you uh, even further richness in your reading, and it's especially when you need to be a teacher of it. Yeah. That so not all Christians need necessarily to study Greek and Hebrew, um, obviously, uh, but it's a it's a great thing. It's a great opportunity to um, grow, in, grow in faith. People, I get asked, what's my, my favorite translation? And I'm always like, well, I have problems with all the ones that you're thinking of. I was like, my, my favorite translation usually is the one that, that I've done from right. the Greek or Hebrew mm-hmm. into English because I'm looking at the text. I'm studying the grammar. I'm looking at a lexicon because not every Greek or Hebrew word has and English word that it can mean. Oftentimes, you have choices, right? Yep. And then yep. you're looking at the choices, and you're like, okay, like it could mean this, 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 or this. And you look around it, and again, I'm I'm not a Greek or Hebrew scholar, but you know, you get taught how to approach these things, and you make a decision, uh, and and then you know, you write a sermon based upon kind of the commentary you've got from practicing translating the language, and it, it just takes your Again, your your preaching and teaching skills and messages a little deeper for your people. So if you're listening and you're not a pastor and you've read the English Bible and you're like, my pastor said this, but I'm looking at the text and it, it says nothing about what he's talking about right. because there's there's motion from these languages that that doesn't necessarily translate into English all the time. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm proud to hear that because one of my goals as a language teacher is that my students would get to that point where they're not really happy with any English translation, sure. right? And, and the point is, again, once what you said, Ben, is true. Um, the English translations are good. Uh, you're still getting the gospel narrative. But uh, for those who are going to be professional teachers, preachers, I love to hear it when my students say, you know, I'm not really happy with any translation, but mm-hmm. the one I, you know, the one I work out. Yeah. And people say, you know, people have asked me, what's your favorite translation? I said, it depends on the verse. There's some places where I think the NIV nails it, and other yep. places where it falls short. Yep. Some places where the ESV nails it, and uh, and so and so they'll say, "So what is your favorite translation?" I said, "You know, in the end, it's it's mine." Yeah. And uh, there's they're all well, that's kind of arrogant. And I said, "Well, not really, because I'm the one who's got to preach this sermon, right. and I I want to make sure you know." Uh, you know, if the NIV, you know, they translate uh, "unclean spirit" as "evil spirit," I don't want to. I want to say unclean spirit. I'm going to disagree with the NIV on that one. Yeah. And uh, I think it changes the nature of the story. Right. We're not dealing with spirits that are, are evil. They are, but spirits that 
contaminate the people they possess. Right. Yeah, and Jesus is saving them from that kind of cosmic impurity. Mm. That's, you know, it's, it's a something different there. kind of, uh, it's yeah. a different nuance to the evil. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. This is yeah. an evil that contaminates. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Changes the way you look at sin. Yeah. It changes the way, yeah. And then suddenly you, you realize why, uh, you know, the whole, purity is not a big deal among us Americans. We might be interested in whether our chicken has hormones, right? But purity is a big deal almost in every other culture. Right. You, know, you talk about Middle East, Africa, uh, Asia, and uh, and so they they actually hear gospel in the words Jesus has cleansed us. He's yeah. driven out the impurity, and uh, and that that would be a place where the ESV made a translation decision that I, I really don't like. Hmm. But in other places, their translations, I think, are pretty cool. Do you, yeah. do you find that um, students coming into class, they, they've, um, they've memorized certain passages yes. of Scripture, yeah. right? This is, this is part of, like, catechism. <laughs> right. um, this is part of Lutheran education or, or just kind of Christian formation. A lot of pastors have their members memorize Scripture. And then are they kind of, like, initially scandalized when they're, like, coming into class and... They're like, wait, wait, I, I learned this passage right. this way, and right. now all of a sudden you're saying the translation is not quite right. Well, it's like John 3.16, the so-called gospel in a nutshell, which is actually a, uh, it's a subordinate clause to John 3.14 and 15, right? It's explaining you know, why, why is, you know, Jesus makes a comparison between the raising of the serpent on the pole, you know, what Moses did and the Son of Man being lifted up, and then... And then you have, for God so loved the world, and the word so could also be translated in this way. Yeah. God loved the world in this way, namely mm-hmm. he gave his only son, right? Versus Rather than like so, so much. much. And, yeah. and, it's, and it's actually, the word could be read either way, yeah. and everybody wants it. God loved the world so much, which is possible, and then you get someone like me or you know Jeff Gibbs, agree, or I agree with him on this translation, Dr. Jeff Gibbs, another one of my great teachers. Um, that you know, God loved the world in this way. This is the way He did. Kind of thus. Yeah, thus. And, um, and pointing stu- back to fourteen and then students and get scandalized, and then I said, "Well, this is John, so it could be a double entendre, right?" Yeah. Which John likes to do. And then Ephesians two verse eight, you know, for you know, for by grace you ha- you are saved, and you know, we make a big deal. That's a perfect, right? Yeah. Past act, present result. So have been, and as a result, are now in a saved condition. So not are being saved right now, but have been, and now you're in the safe state. Um, you know, so by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, right? What's, what's the zit? What, what, is this, what does this refer to? It's tauta, right? It's tauta. It's a, a tuta. It's a neuter. Oh, yeah. A tuta. And every, if I ask the English speaker, so what is this referring to? They all say faith, right? This faith is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And they've heard it preached that way, right? even by Missouri Ascended Preachers. And then I say, yeah, see, faith is a feminine noun. Yeah. Tuta is a neuter That's right. pronoun. If it was tauta, yeah. you could say faith, but since it's tuta... It's tuta. It's, yeah, exactly. it's not faith. It's, yeah. And you look, there's nothing neuter before, and so it's the whole package. shebang, the whole package. Getting saved by grace through faith, this whole thing is not of yourselves. And then in the Greek, it's not, it is a gift of God, it's really... You know, theu comes before gift, so theu doron, not doron to theu, and so it's it's not it's a gift of God, but really in the Greek it's God's gift. gift. It yeah. is. Yeah, you know, we're emphasizing God. You know, so it's really you have to translate that. For by grace you have been saved by means of faith. 
You know, so by means of grace, you are in a safe state right now through faith. And this whole thing, right, getting saved by grace through faith is not of you. It's God's gift yep. with emphasis upon God's. And that would be watching script that'd be watching scripture in the widescreen. Mm-hmm. Well, the English and translations have, lose some stuff in translation. It would have tremendous implications then for a question like um, I, I had some evangelical friends in high school that would ask me, so when were you saved, right? And um, when they talk about that, it was this kind of historical moment, and yeah. they want to know, like, you know, mm. uh, when did you make your decision is the big question that they're asking, right? Um, which which kind of goes against this passage in a major way. But, but, but it also kind of treats that, for grace, I, I was saved as kind of a past event, that you know may or may not uh, have any implications for your present life, right? Um, and the way that you just explained it um, makes a lot more sense of kind of our Lutheran understanding of salvation. It's yeah. it's outside of our choice, right? And it's something that didn't just happen. Uh, of course, baptism happens right. to us, and it's a historical event. But the reason that we um, that we remember our baptism is because it's a it's a continuing present reality. And and you have baptism earlier in Ephesians too, the whole you've been made alive with Christ, you've been raised with Him, yeah. you've been seated with Him in the heavenly realms, whatever that means, in the spiritual realm. But those are all aorists, past tense. And yeah. so and I think it's I think Paul's referring to baptism. When mm-hmm. was I made alive? When was I raised? And then really I think we could say when was I seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And that was at baptism, but it's a continuing right. present reality. But yeah, that, that's, that's the past. The... That's the past act. What's yep. the present result? Yeah, I'm in a saved condition. In, yep. in yep. my historical baptism, yeah. I was grafted into this narrative yep. that happened a long time ago, yes. but continues on today. Yeah, and, and it's one of these things where, like, um, of course, we're Lutheran, so naturally we're right. But I, but I've experienced this, and I'm sure you have as well. When you're talking to somebody who's Christian or maybe perhaps de-churched. I, I encountered a ton of de-churched people when I worked in Ferguson who grew up in the church, thought they had a good understanding of the gospel and Christian life, and then I explain it this way, uh, the gospel from a Christian perspective. Well, let's talk about your baptism and what it actually means and what you've been connected to, and you see a, a bulb click on, yeah. and now they're like, and I'm not saying this. The fact that we're saved through our baptism, apart from ourselves, apart from our works, is a license to sin. But they begin to see all of their sin in a different way. That it is actually forgiven through Jesus's work and not my ability to live a perfect life. And it, it transforms the way pe- again people see themselves, the way they see life, the way they see others, and it gives them now they understand this new life that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2. Right. But it, it, it ha- you have to have that whole package. It can't be according to any part of me, because if it is according to any part of me naturally, it falls apart. Yeah. And so the fact that it is God's gift for us is just such a huge thing, and that's why the language just... Yeah. Verse 10, yeah, we are God's workmanship, mm. created mm. in Christ Jesus to perform good works that He prepared right. in advance that we would walk in them. And yeah, it's all God, even the new life is all God. That's one reason why we call that a Lutheran verse, because it's hard to get around Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. Right. And I would say 8 through 10, uh, because verse 10 brings in the new obedience, yeah. which is also God's work in us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I agree, because if it was me, it ain't going to work. No. You know? And uh, I, I had an evangelical friend back in college who 
actually made the decision for Christ numerous times. Yeah. Almost every time she went to, you know, like one of those revival preaching things, she would get up and offer and do the altar call again and again because she was never certain that the last one took. Right. You know. Right, because if it's up to if it's up to me, I mean, I know myself well enough. Uh, I have good days and bad days. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I, I mean, ask my ask my wife. She knows, she knows very well. I have good days and bad days. Um, yeah. Days where I feel like I'm just uh, absolutely certain, and everything that I'm doing is is um, I'm just a hundred percent on board. And then I have days where I'm just completely disillusioned. And I'm like, why did I do that? And um, and if it if it were up to us, um, yeah, salvation would be a pretty tenuous, um, could be a pretty scary thing. Um, I'm, that's why I'm, I'm actually grateful for my wife because um, her love for me doesn't change. It doesn't uh, go up and down. We've been married uh, now for almost 20 years, but um, God's love is even in Christ is, is much more certain than that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we've been talking about languages. And so again, if, if you're going to come residentially, um, Greek and Hebrew are you got to do them. And I don't want to say you got to do them because again, even if you struggle through the languages, I know guys that in class that everybody there's, there's different levels of of people being able to approach a foreign language, especially one that isn't modern and wrap their minds around it well enough to not simply take a test, but operate in this language moving forward because it's not like you take Greek and we're just seeing if you can learn and you put your Nestle Island away yeah. You take Greek and then you open it up for the rest of the four What's years. What's a of Nestle history. Island? It's the, it's the version of the Greek <laughs> New Testament that we highlight here at the seminary. And, and there are sorry, there are different versions, um, but even beyond CSO. Uh, so I got in the twenty eight might no longer yeah. be the latest version. It still is. Okay, they were the the twenty eight had just come out when I was studying at Westfield House, and uh, well, I wasn't a New Testament student, so I didn't necessarily get one for free. But I got one while I was a student there, uh, and it's it's just the Nestle and Allen are are two guys that two, or there's an two, organization two German dudes yeah. who um, who are Eberhard Nestle is that right yeah and yeah. and Kurt Aland Kurt, yeah Kurt yeah that Kurt, are both sm- German dudes that smart? Kurt Aland's wife I think is in was is into this was right a text textual critic as well yeah and they have yeah. a big team. Yeah. Talk about being scandalized, and I might have said this before, but I remember getting to Greek, and the first thing you get, you get your Greek grammar, you get your Greek New Testament, and you're ready to go. And I remember flipping it open, and I remember seeing the apparatus, and, yeah. and I remember you talking about it. And I said, well, what is this apparatus? And and you were like, well, it's all the variants of the text. And I was like, what do you mean the variants of the text? <laughs> right. And then, like, you know, in hindsight, it only makes sense, right? Yeah. Uh, when people talk about in- biblical inerrancy, nothing gets held to the standard that the Bible does. Right. For in any manuscript in the history of, of, um, of humanity. But you're like, this is where, like, you know, scribes or uh, different versions scandalized for about 30 seconds, got over it. I was like, well, <laughs> let's move forward and actually understand what this means. And so... They they compile all of this information. I, I, I'm sure now they have this digital database that they probably compare things with, and they actually make the same type type of moves we're talking about for the ESV or yeah, where you, you make decisions. You yeah. have all these manuscripts, and you're looking at the manuscript, and there's histories of different uh, scribes and manuscripts that we know well, and, and they look at text and they look at the history of the text, and 
in the main body of the Greek Testament that they compiled together, they've made choices of which ones to include, and they always make a mark if they've made one of those choices, especially when they differ, yeah. but they include those variations in, in an apparatus. So they're not just saying, this is the original text. They're saying, we think, based yeah. upon our history and our experience, that this is probably the closest main text, but here are the ones where it differs. Now you get to make a choice. It's kind of like it's kind of like the Supreme Court, right? So we have yeah. our constitution in the United States, but but we need somebody to say, well, this is this is essentially what this document means, and in this particular case, um, so my my doctoral supervisor Hugh Houghton is now on the editorial committee for the Editio Critica Maior, the uh, the the big critical edition of the Greek New Testament, um, and. He makes decisions on what is the actual text of this verse. Um, so and your, your, your dissertation was in text criticism. Right? It was, yeah. yeah. And I, I would say of Nestle Allen, that's a nice analogy, but we're here, the scholars, able to disagree with the Supreme Court. Sure. So now, if we're lawyers, we get to say, yeah, they decided Miranda, but uh, I'm going to determine now that it, he didn't need to know that his confession, he didn't have to confess, you know. And, yeah. uh, but but here we could actually look at the evidence down below and decide, you know, I think they made a mistake here, and I'm I'm going to go with this reading. So the 25th edition of Nestle Island, um, you know, Mark one one, you know, you have the Archeuangeliou Iesou Christu, and then Huiu Theu, Son of God, was down in the apparatus, right? They, so they didn't read Son of God; they just had the beginning of the Gospel of Christ, right? And then they thought that. Uh, you know, they went with the original hand of Codex Sinaiticus, which doesn't have it, and um, and and most evangelical scholars continue to read it as part of the text. It didn't matter what Nestle Allen said, uh, but then uh, now in the twenty seventh edition, they put it back up above mm. in single brackets to determine there's a disagreement about this. But now they read it, and um, and it's kind of interesting what changed. I think it really has to do with people started reading more of Mark. You know, Mark, and we, in other words, they're saying it's more likely someone added "Son of God" to up the Christology, than took it out, right? And now the conclusion is, well, actually, you know, you read Mark, the Christology is pretty high, right? G, the main title of Jesus is "Son of God," right? You're wondering who knows that he's the Son of God, and the only human is the centurion at the foot of the cross, which is another reason why I'm Lutheran. You know, uh, it's at the cross that Jesus proves. His sonship, yeah. but uh, then you realize, uh, yeah, it probably was original. And now I think the they say, yeah, likely the copyist of Co of Codex Sinaiticus made a mistake, right? And I know you've probably seen it. It's Son of God is actually it's in in between the lines, carried it in sort of where it's supposed to be, right. and the, by the first corrector of that of that text. And, and is it is it a nomina sacra? Is a yeah, yeah, so they have the, uh, it's abbreviated. So a, a nomina sacra is, uh, um, yeah, an abbreviation. So kind of like um, you, you'd you see the the Cairo. Right, um, right. Which is the X with then a large P. Right. Um, but that's actually a, a, an R, R or row. Right, yeah, it's an R. In, yeah. in Greek. Uh, but those are the first two letters of Christos. Right. So, so the, the writers would abbreviate it as they're writing Greek. They would abbreviate something, yeah. Um, and so, a lot of times um, in Christu, um, they'll they'll do the the chi, and then the upsilon, the, yeah, the last, last letter, letter, the first and last letter, yeah. of the and name. then and then yeah. uh, 
tilde. Is yeah. That right? So it's um, on over the over the top um, that that kind of signifies, hey, this is uh, an abbreviation. Yeah. So huiu theiu is then upsilon upsilon theta and then upsilon. Yeah. yeah. Which is then ink and paper huiu, used to be expensive, yeah. right? Yeah, I know. So <laughs> yeah, well, and they were using parchment. That was, right. I think that was animal hide and papyrus and parchment were pretty expensive. So. You know, if you can say space. Yeah, I think uh, Jeff Kloa and then J.E. Keith Elliott, who's a world-renowned text critic, and Kloa's our text critic, um, you know, for, I'd say, the chief text critic of our yep. denomination. Um, they were characterizing it like, you know, Codex Sinaiticus, the copyist, went through one day and did all that, and then his boss came and said, you missed son of God, and pins <laughs> it in. He pins it into the line, you know, that very day, maybe. Yeah. And... Uh, but, uh, but that would be a place where even Nestle Allen will change what they read from edition to edition. And then if there's a text that they don't think is real, but it's been so important in the history of the church, they put it in the double brackets. And I, I don't want to scandalize anybody watching, but this would be like the long ending of Mark. Sure. Right, it, right. So, it, so too, for our, our viewers or listeners, should, even in English yeah, versions, go to yeah. the English version of their Bible to the end of, of Mark and yeah. look at what what their English version footnote says right. from Mark 16, 9 through 20. And yeah. I think ESV puts it in single brackets. Mm, yeah. Probably. And I think they do the same thing for the woman caught in adultery in John 7, 8. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, then, and maybe the Johanna, Yo, yeah. the Yo, Kama Johanneum. Yeah, right, um, the, right. Uh, I don't know if that's included in any translations anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. It's in the King yeah. James. That's, yeah, it's in the King James. Yeah. And uh, I think I probably talk some about King James only folks, because I've got some in my family. Sure. Where the King James, in other words, you don't need to learn Greek, just the, read the authority. King James. Yeah. yeah, the right. authority. Right. Yeah, the authorized version. You know, they say yeah. Yeah. it's authorized by King James, but they have this idea that it's authorized by God. You know, historically, and everybody needs to learn English to read the Bible today. Right. You know, not only English, but it's know, just a, it's just English. an astounding yeah. theological yeah. claim yeah. that. Um, I I just uh, you know I've I've read um, some of these some of these books um, yeah um, and but but it's to try to to try to claim that this is somehow from God um, uh, the that that is the authorized uh, translation I mean even even Luther um, he's he's uh, he, he's very open about how he translated the the Greek right, New Testament right. into German and he's defending certain things that he did but he I don't think he's ever claiming like divine um you know immediate right. uh inspiration right. um he's all he he's he's arguing for his translation based on grammar right. like, yeah. if right. we're going to say it in German we have to say it this way and this is what we would do as pastors if we got together for a study group we might disagree on the grammar. I think that that's a habitual imperfect. You're saying no, no. I think it's uh, inceptive, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, and one thing, you know, I'll have students who will have a bit of a faith crisis when they find out about the variant readings. And I, I remember that always comes up in Greek, and I'm always like, okay, <laughs> should I even bother talking about this? Yeah. There, there goes another 20 minutes right. of class. But uh, yeah, or but a lifetime. I, I would say, yeah, <laughs> or a lifetime. But yeah, I know. But but my, I say, you know, our our faith is an incarnational faith. Right. We believe that God took the risks of taking on human flesh and becoming one of us. Yeah. And the same thing in. in Somehow the, the scriptures are not somehow less human 
than Jesus was. Yeah. And I, but I find many Christians want the scriptures to be more divine than he is. Right. With, they don't want, they want, they're okay with Jesus having a human nature, but not scriptures. And one sign of the human nature of the scriptures is uh, they were copied, and in the historical process, variant readings arose. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually find it today more comforting to me. That, right. that it really God really did take on human flesh. And I, my own look at Jesus and the narrative is that he, the risk is things are going to happen that even he didn't plan on. You know, now you, that may sound shocking, but I think when the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15 um, comes to Jesus, I, I personally don't think he's refusing her to test her faith. I think he's refusing her because she's a Canaanite, yeah. and he came for Israel. Yeah. And, uh, and her faith wins him over. Imagine. In other words, in a way, she's kind of the hero of that text. Kind of right. the way the woman with the hemorrhage who touches Jesus is sort of the hero of the text. She, he wasn't planning on getting touched, and she touches him, and suddenly, you know, and that's the risk God takes when he takes on human flesh. And so you might say Great Commission ministry is taking place before the Great Commission when Jesus cast the demon out of the Canaanite woman's daughter. Hmm. And, uh, and this was, I don't think he was planning to do it. I think she won him over. And I actually think that's kind of comforting not to have the... Uh, Sovereign Lord of the Calvinists, and I believe God is sovereign. So yeah, of course. But uh, the the Father of Jesus, who actually listens to my prayers, yeah. Yeah. it might even change his mind because I because David asked him, you know, and uh, that's oh even know, the guy who took yeah. on human flesh and still is in flesh today that I can have a beer with someday in the resurrection if he likes beer, you know, right. or wine, better, wine, right? for yeah, sure, yeah. Wine, yeah. I, to me, that's I, that's just mind-blowing. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's even like, uh, I mean, you could you could do this in the Old Testament. You could do it yeah. with Jonah, yep. right, where yeah. God is going to destroy Nineveh, they repent, and he says, all right, well, yeah. never mind. Jonah's frustrated, Yeah. Uh, but God's... Will is accomplished. The same thing with Abraham for Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, what yeah. if what if there's what if there's ten? What if what if there's thirty? And God's willing to entertain this, but in the end, there weren't. Right. Uh, and so it's it's one of these things where having conversations with people on inerrancy and which version and things like that. I, I always try to re- remind them again of the blessings of our time in history because think of, you have to context is always important. I, I say for most of the history of the church people like you and me wouldn't have been able to read any version of the scriptures. Right, right. And, and so don't worry about the things that aren't necessarily unimportant, but are unimportant in the grand scale of what we're gathered around. Uh, it is, it's a, a tremendous blessing to be able to read, I mean, I was going to say a version of the Bible I don't care for, but if that's what you have, that is what you have. I think probably God's will can be accomplished even through nonsense at times but but it's just one of these things where again what is it that we're, we're gathered around and what is it that is being preached and what is it being communicated whether it's written or spoken is the thing and it has to be jesus him crucified for your sins and that's what we're trying to get at in all of this right for the sake of people's salvation so so i'm i'm definitely um charged up to get back into um, my Greek New Testament. Um, but, but for our, our listeners, our viewers, who uh, have not ever uh, studied Greek or Hebrew, um, and they're, they're thinking, you know, when I come to seminary, um, the summer before, before the program starts, I'm going to do kind of the, the Greek boot camp at, at seminary. Um, but but what, what could they do 
right now? Um, what what is the best? What are some good things to do? Uh, would you recommend that they get the the Greek grammar and start to do it on their own, or uh, what what would be some things that a prospective student who's who's kind of jazzed up after listening to this and says, "I really want to dig in." Where where do I even start? Uh, and I would um, I think getting ahead is always a good thing. Yep. Uh, you can actually find uh, some lectures by Jim Veltz, Doctor Veltz, who wrote the book. I think they're available through Concordia Theology. I think they're on CSL Scholar, yeah, right? CSL yes. Scholar. Scholar.csl.edu. Yeah. And right. then if you search Veltz, V-O-E-L-Z, yep. you can find them there. And I'll, I'll, I'll have had students. Some, of the, some students who've come here have actually taken his year-long course, I think, where they meet once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that gets them ahead. Some guys will watch Veltz, I would say, usually up through, like, Chapter 10. And so they kind of at least coast the first couple of weeks. Yeah. And uh, and I would say, if anything, probably the best thing you can do is get the grammar and study chapter one, get mm. the alphabet down, Yeah. Uh, go on to chapter two, get the accents down. And uh, that right there would give that first day where we spend all three hours just going through the alphabet, the diphthongs, uh, syllable division. Uh, if you get that down and that first day, you're going to have the base to continue. Uh, Dr. Veltz argues, he, he thinks if you don't get chapter one down, you're never really going to master the language. Mm. You, you, you know those guys who never really learned to pronounce, and then we have them read the sentence, and it's like, yeah. dude, man, now we got to go, you should go back to chapter one and start over again. But uh, So what's the, what's the uh, name of the grammar again? It is Fundamental Greek Grammar. Uh, I think now it's fourth edition revised, and but, that's important. There, there are as our, our um, you know, as we all know, on Amazon you can find every edition yeah. of every book now. Um, so the first edition, the second edition, the third edition, even don't buy them because yeah. you will be required yeah, to have a, yeah, the a fourth, new edition. There is in a fourth class. edition too, and then the fourth edition revised. One other thing I would say, and this is good for both Greek and and uh, Hebrew, uh, Dr. Veltz's grammar. He used to present a uh, uh, English for Greek students that he that used to be a separate handout. It is now in the fourth edition revised, and I would I would advise just go and restudy English because one of the biggest problems students have in learning Greek is they don't know English. Right. Yeah. And so when you talk about case, when you talk about tense of verbs. They're not really sure what those things mean already. They were hmm. taught that probably in grade school, and right, like eighth grade eighth or grade, something. Yeah. You know, I remember we even like had to diagram sentences back in the eighth grade. Yeah, but you lose you 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 don't know about that stuff, um, and just relearning English. Right, uh, and then he's actually got a review that's very helpful to get you thinking. Okay, there's phrases, there's subordinate clauses, there's clauses. This is what case means. This is what tense means, and uh, and I I think that would. That would be one reason to get the book early. Uh, I would say study at least chapter one, uh, and then read the Greek review the for the English review for Greek students. Mm-hmm. And then if you can find time to watch Veltz on CSL Scholar, um, probably. Uh, I mean, if you could watch all of his lectures, that'd be great. Uh, you might even be able to take the qualifier and not have to take summer Greek. But uh, that's a big time commitment. Yeah. But at least watch him. I would say through chapter nine. Yeah, and if you can, but uh, that will then set you up for the first two weeks where you will be ahead of the game, and you have some idea of of what's coming. I, I, 
I think yeah. a lot of times for languages, again, it, everybody in theory in America maybe was required to take a year or two of some foreign language in high school or something like that. Uh, but they're all different. Yeah. And so, you, again, now not not just different from French or Spanish to English where the alphabets are kind of similar. Now you have a new alphabet and, uh, again, case and things like that. And, and it just, I think people just get overwhelmed and, and burdened by the idea and, and they just get swallowed with this ocean just because they're just intimidated by it. And I always tell people just to, again, I, people ask me all the time because we're getting less and less people that have Greek coming into the seminary. Just, just take a deep breath. Uh, every student that we have in the seminary, we, we want everybody to succeed in everything yeah. that they do. We're not trying to weed people out with Greek. We're, we're trying to help you through it. Right. And, and I would say, too, for um, if we have any viewers, listeners that are, um, are in high school, and are uh, thinking about where to go to college, uh, there is nothing better that you can do with four years of college than spend time studying Greek and Hebrew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you'll be way far ahead. There's a huge difference between taking Greek for 10 weeks uh, versus taking it for three years, six semesters. Yeah. Um, and so if, if you have the opportunity to um, take Greek and Hebrew in college. Um, our Concordias definitely uh, teach those. Um, but, uh, you know, if not, have no fear. We will get you up to speed with right. uh, Greek boot camp. Yeah. Um, and one other tool that we now have here is, is we use Logos, the Bible program, Lagos, Logos. It's um, given. It's given, not really given. It's, I mean, you end up bu bu buying it, but at a reduced cost. And with Logos, you can bring up the text, the Nestle Allen 28 text, or the BHS, which is the edition of the Hebrew uh, Bible that scholars use. And, uh, and basically, the textual apparatus is there. Mm -hmm. Just with a click of a mouse and a symbol, you see all the variant readings. Uh, it parses uh, verbs, uh, gives you the definition of, of words. It's, I mean, it's a really helpful tool. And I think students who learn the language in the summer and then start actively reading on logos they advance they they keep the languages yeah. uh, it takes some discipline and i would say if you love i mean i love the word of god which is one reason why i love greek and hebrew uh, i actually believe that god is speak still speaking to us in the 66 canonical books of the old and new testament yeah. Uh, even the antilogomena sometimes. So, no, uh, but uh, I agree. Yeah. I agree. You don't yeah. have to sell me on that. I, I, um, well, you I, had you had me for John of the Catholic Epistles where yeah, we exactly. talked about that stuff. Yeah. But uh, and and yeah. and that's where um, um, that I was a great I, that was I a great class. With you and uh, that, some yeah. of that. Yeah, that was a great class. It was but, a great uh, class. You're the very first class that you taught at it the was. seminary. I know. Yeah, oh, it was ever long at ago. the old campus. Um, yeah, I had him when he was a brand new prof. Um, it was my last my last year, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a it was a fun fun course. You preached it well as a graduate student. You preached a sermon on the uh, the blind man and go, going into the the uh, discourse. Jesus, dis, good shepherd. Yeah, discourse. good shepherd discourse. And I think I made the 10. point. I made the point that narratively, the you should see the blind man still at Jesus' feet. Yeah, you know when yeah. he launches in because there's no division yeah. in the narrative between nine and ten and. Then he brought that up in his sermon, and I was just like, yeah, looking around, and 
And then nobody's ever said this nobody's before. Nobody's ever I'm said this before. Yeah, no, but my teacher yeah, told me it's no, no, true. No, <laughs> but, no, nobody ever said this before. There, yeah. and I remember some people taking the Bibles out and like, oh, you know, and yeah, that was. But uh, that that gets in a narrative, the narrative yep. approach, oh, which right. we hmm. tend to advocate here too. Is, yeah, yeah. Um, one other piece of advice I would say is for somebody who did do the 10 week boot camp, um, if you are going to do a thing and you're trying to wrap your mind around the language, uh, you mentioned it before because I'm a mathematician. Well, at least once upon a time before I became a pastor, I was a mathematician. My kids going through elementary school, bringing it back out slowly but surely. But Greek is, is very formulaic in how the words get formed. And, yeah. and it's a, it's a, inflected language, meaning the form of a verb or, or a word determines what it means and what it's attached to and how it beyond itself. Right. And so we, we talked about connecting vowels, endings. So every verb has a stem, a connecting vowel, and an ending. And if you if you begin to wrap your mind around that for the verbs, yeah. as they begin to change, as they become participles and things like that, It'll be less overwhelming if you understand the formula of the language. Even nouns and things like that have a formula to them. Hebrew's a little bit different. Uh, yeah. It works differently. But Greek itself, I, I mean, that's why, I mean, German is a, is like the modern engineering scientific language. But <laughs> before there was German, yes, there was Greek. And that's why you see Greek symbols all over yeah. math equations. Because, again, Greek is a, a formulaic language. And... I would say it, it. I don't know if it ever breaks its rules for how they're formed. I'd have to go back through the grammar to figure that out. But it's. I don't think that it does. If you learn the formula of how things get put together in Greek, you'll do well to you'll learn do the well. Language. There's, there's of course, um, well, there's the whole principal chart, principal parts chart at the end of fundamental Greek grammar that goes through all the irregular verbs, and there, there are a, 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 a number of irregular verbs, but. But even in that, th- their stem changes, but the formula stays the same, yeah. it, depending on their tense and things like yeah. that. So I, w- I would say, I mean, as way of advice on this line, um, if you could watch the Veltz videos, that'd be good. Yeah. Uh, get his book, learn chapter one, get the vowels, get the v- alphabet, vowels, consonants, diphthongs down. Um, and then Veltz himself says that the most important chapters in his book are chapters three, where he presents the verbs, mm-hmm. chapter four, where he prevents, presents the nouns, chapter nine, which has to do with aspect, you know, how the presence and era stems function, and then chapter 25, which is the perfect aspect. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I would say, uh, re, so study chapter one, get the, get the alphabet down, read his uh, English review for Greek students, and then read the intros to chapters three, four, and nine. And those are the big theory chapters for Veltz. Um, and then chapter four, Mike, is what you're talking about with nouns. F- inflected language form determines function, not word order. Right. And so in English, it's all word order. In Greek, you have to look at the ending to know what a noun is doing. Yep. And then the rule, I don't, th- it ever, I don't think it ever violates the rules. It's just you find out later, you know, like the dative case has many different uses, not just indirect object. And, mm-hmm. and, and then it's all in its context, but it's easy. You, you can find the subject, look for that noun with a nominative ending if it doesn't have a nominative ending it's not the subject even if it comes first yep you know so and uh so i guess now i have to adapt my uh advice get the book uh 
get the alphabet down cold, and that would be the main thing. Yeah. Then I would say go to go to the end, find English Review for Greek students, read that, relearn English, and then if you have time, uh, just study the beginning of chapters three, four, and nine. I, I would and, tend to throw in the third declension because that uh, determines a lot down the road. Yeah. But that, but that well, could be the ocean beginning to swallow somebody up. Yeah, that up. could be. Yeah. <laughs> I, I call the third declension sometimes, the, well, the third declension is a declension from hell. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah exactly. Because uh, there's sort of a, a rhyme and reason to the first and second declensions where they at least yes. parallel each other. Yeah. And the third declension is like, where? Who came, this was... Does this was this was like somebody drunk came coming up. You know, they had turns coming up with syntax when, yeah. and uh, some guy got drunk when they did the third declension. You know, but uh, yeah, third declension is the hidden declension. Um, genitive plural. That's the yeah. that's the one to hang your yeah. head on. Yeah, oh yeah. The genitive plural ending is always <laughs> omega nu. Oh, yeah, exactly. oh, oh, there you right. get it. <laughs> yeah, but see, then sometimes but sometimes you see sometimes you see own. In uh, third declension, nominative, right. singular form. So, right. and then even, it shows up in in yeah. uh, right in in uh, verbs. In verbs, so, yeah. So yeah. you never, yeah. There's no, yeah, yeah. That's one thing to know for Greek. There is no one rule that's going to. There, as Veltz would say, there's no real silver bullet. No, that, yeah. That can kill the werewolf. It's yeah. You so learn we should language. we should uh, probably um, we should probably transition to our our closing segment which is um ripe for the picking or leave it on leave it on the tree um and so um i'll i'll go first here um so we explained this uh before ripe for the picking which means you like it or leave it on the tree means no thanks um i'm just i'm just gonna go right for the um uh the thing that we have to talk about um Star Wars, the Star Wars franchise. Now, I've I've heard some people recently say the Star Wars franchise is dead. Uh, Kenobi killed the Star Wars franchise. They just keep pumping out all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, the 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 Book of Boba Fett was kind of uh, one step toward death, and Kenobi kind of sealed the deal. Um, so so. Um, Dr. Lewis, I know you're a huge Star Wars fan, but um, the Star Wars franchise, as it currently stands, ripe for the picking or leave it on the tree? I'm going to say ripe for the picking. Okay. Because I think the Mandalorian can still come back. This is what they say. You know, you hear that John Favreau yeah. pulled out, pulled a back muscle. It was from pulling the Star Wars out of the <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, right. You know, anything I, that John Favreau yeah. does, I'm I'm yeah. a huge fan of, and, but. And we we watched uh, you know, Book of Boba Fett. It could have been better. Yeah. But the, but basically, when the Mandalorian came back in, it, it got really good. Oh, it yeah. got really yeah, good, exactly. right? Exactly. I mean, didn't it? And, yeah. And yeah. now we've had we have uh, Baby Yoda choosing the way of the Mandalorian versus the way of the Force. There's right. gonna be there's got to be more, and uh, uh, and then uh, the Kenobi mo- Kenobi series. Uh, it was worth it simply for the final confrontation of him and Darth Vader. It makes sense. Of their confrontation, the original Star Wars. Last time you were the master, I was, and you sure. don't really see that yet in in any, in, but you see it in that scene where yeah. Kenobi beats him again, and and I remember my son John and I watched that. He didn't, he wasn't really a fan, uh, but that one scene, we're like, okay, now we understand yeah. why Kenobi, and and we would we would also say all the uh, animated versions, you know, like the death, of, the final death of Darth Maul, where he actually dies a Christian. Uh, in Obi Wan's hands because mm. he believes Luke is the Messiah, you know. 
little Christ imagery in there. And yes. I remember we actually wept because, you know, Darth Maul is like one of those bad guys that you want, you actually kind of want to get redeemed. Yeah. Like Darth Vader. And so mm-hmm. Obi-Wan redeems, you know, well, Obi-Wan kills him in a in a scene that I think is dragged out of uh, the samurai movie Yojimbo. Mm. Not, no, not Yojimbo, Sanjiro, but uh, where two guys face off on one move and one guy gets killed. And then you have uh, Darth Maul basically finding hope in the fact that Luke is the one, and he dies a Christian in the faith. Yes, you will see Darth Maul in the resurrection of the just, because <laughs> he's saved by grace, through faith, and not by his own works. Come to Concordia Seminary <laughs> yeah, right. so you can hear Dave Lewis explain movies and how they connect to our Christian yeah. faith. Well, we have a Faith and Film Festival yeah, coming exactly. up. Uh, you yeah. can find info for that on the website as well. For, for me right now, I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm leaving Star Wars on the tree for, for the moment. Okay. I actually didn't even finish the Kenobi series. You, you've kind of uh, um, tipped me off that I, I need to finish it, but I was so thoroughly bored with it yeah. uh, that um, I just left off, and I, then I, I, I haven't watched... Um, I like the actor, Ian uh, McEwen. McEwen, yeah, yeah. yeah. he's good. I just he's like him actor. so much that I'll, I'll stay with him even through a bad movie Fair. just because yeah. he's there, yeah. so... I, yeah, there. I mean, right now I have to pick and choose what I watch. I haven't. I haven't watched everything Star Wars. Not because it's leaving on the tree for me. Just because uh, I, I'm a father. I, I I'm a graduate student. I have a full time job. I'm just, a part time job. Just two characters: <laughs> Mandalorian and Baby Yoda. Well, yep. yeah, no, yep. no, no, that's, why, that's why it's right for it's the pick. Yeah. So. I was gonna ask you a, a movie one. Okay. Uh, you know what? It, it, it is what it is. Right for the picking or leave it on the tree. The new Jurassic Park movies. So this is like Jurassic World. And the two that follow. Uh, Have you seen Dominion? I saw it. I haven't on the plane. seen Dominion. Okay, I, saw I, the I only first watched one. it because I was on a, an airplane. I, I, the first one, I'll say, uh, right for the picking. I like uh, Chris Pratt. Pratt, and I can wa- enjoy anything he's in. Sure. And I like seeing dinosaurs, and I like seeing dinosaurs eat people. <laughs> so uh, I'm kind of easy to please. I think the original Jurassic Park. Uh, I saw that at the Esquire. Oh right. And, uh, and Actually, Dr. Bob Rosine saw it and tore it apart in class. He critiqued it. And so we, I felt compelled to go with my wife. And I, I think Spielberg's a great director, and it was a great adventure movie. And, um, and so I'm hoping – I haven't seen the next one, though. So, uh, Jurassic but I'll Park. just say still right for the pick-in. It could, it could e- any movie with dinosaurs can easily be redeemed. Yeah. It, I mean, they can go either way, though. Yeah, and I, so I watched Dominion on the airplane. It, it was, it was, it was, it was a Jurassic Park movie. So I, I don't know if nostalgia is the thing that made me like it was okay. It, it got it had a little cheesy moments where I was like, I don't, I don't yeah. know if you guys. The first one that. was ripe for the picking for me. Everything yeah. after has just been like. Uh, like Fast and Furious Nine. Oh, like, okay. I, I just, I don't know. It, it's just another dinosaur movie. They're running from dinosaurs. The, you know, they've overcome the which, the amusement. To which park I would say and, they're running from dinosaurs, but they're running from dinosaurs. Yeah. Right? Exactly. I mean, I was a big dinosaur fan when I was yeah. a little kid. Same. And so basically, I, I remember watching what was it, Two Million BC with uh, Raquel Welch, where they mm. have the animatronic. What What was the guy's name? Harry. Housen, you um, know, used to have the animatron, the, the skeletons from Jason the Argonauts. He had these, you know, animatronic dinosaurs, and they're, they're again kind of cheesy animation today, but just fun to watch. Yeah. I was a dinosaur, huh. so I would say because I grew up as a dinosaur fanatic, yeah, I wanted fair. to be a paleontologist oh, sure. yeah. when I was four, uh, just to dig up dinosaur bones, and and so that's 
in other words, I, the even the cheese factor in the first Jurassic Park, it's like, yeah, you yeah. get the kids survive. They kill off Samuel Jackson, which was messed up. They kill off the Brit, the British hunter and the lawyer. But they got Dennis can, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dennis Needry. Yeah, I know. But, yeah. So, yeah, and I was thinking, I was kind of thinking they really wanted to do this. They should have killed the kids and let the you know. But uh, but still, dinosaurs. That's, yeah. For me, at the end of the day. That's but, and, and the the first movie came out. It was like ninety two, and I was eight, and so it's like I've been growing yeah, up with the, these films. When yeah, the yeah, first movie to... came out, it was it was just stunning, yeah, and the idea was, yeah. was the idea was really interesting. Yeah. Um, but, but even like the original like sequels. Yeah, they were. Like, oh. I would say they're, none of them stand up to the first. Yeah, fair. But all I don't know. Yes. Yeah. It's like all, all right, the dirty. So, it's like all the Dirty Harry sequels. None of them are as good as Dirty Harry, but it's yeah. Clint Eastwood shooting people. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. You know. Bang bang. <laughs> yeah. All right. So next one. Um, we're we're in the 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 fall season, um, and when this airs, I think we'll still be in the the fall season. Uh, college football. Ripe for the picking, or leave it on the tree. Okay, I might lose my man card, but I'd say leave it on the tree. I've never been into watching sports on television sure yeah. my dad was a sports fanatic that's all mm. he we would have on tv all fall and i just it was like he used to smoke cigarettes and i vowed as a kid i am never going to smoke cigarettes and he would spend all day every weekend watching college ball yeah and i just said i'm not going to get into this mm. and and i didn't i i could sit with uh, friends and watch a game yeah you know yeah. Uh, and there it's more the social interaction right but i right. just yeah, I mean, it's not that I hate it. It's just not for me. I'm not going to spend my time yeah. doing it, and I got too much to do anyway. So, if I'm going to if I'm going to use my time, I'm going to watch a movie. I'm going to yeah. watch a Star Wars movie, not yeah. college football. Sorry if that. You know. I, I'm I'm kind of in the same place. Yeah. Um, I I think our our, our uh, community knows that I I'm a Notre Dame fan, oh. which is kind of which is kind of hard uh, because they've just been so awful for so long. So. Um, it was mostly uh, about my childhood and going to a couple of of uh, games at yeah. the stadium and seeing Touchdown Jesus, which was yeah. kind of a magical moment. But they haven't really <laughs> been good uh, since you know 1987 or whatever. So well, see, I could watch I, I could watch Rudy anytime. Uh, yeah, 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 that's a good <laughs> right. film. great so, film. Yeah, oh, man, I love Rudy. So I might yeah. even I might even say like like sitting down and watching an entire game is probably leave it on the tree even for yeah. me. College football is a leave it on the tree for me. I, it's yeah. so I like every. I don't have a favorite college team. When people do, I'm like, how? I mean, it's, uh, usually it's attached to like you're from Alumni. some obscure place, even from my, my in, dad in played. The col- my dad played college ball for mm-hmm. Tennessee. You know? Oh yeah, so uh, that was one reason. But uh, then he became a beatnik and encouraged my brother and me not to play. I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, my boys don't like football. But like I still have football injuries, yeah. and I, I probably would discourage. It. It's there's there's in a, if they wanted to play football, I wouldn't be like it's too dangerous for you. But there's no way to make football safe, right. or like even less dangerous. And now you're starting to come out with all these CTE things, and you begin to wonder because anyway, a couple of concussions when I was a kid. Anyway, um, it, it, it kind of took the air out of my next one. Because it's sports related, but it's not ongoing, so maybe it's different. Okay. Right for the pick and leave it on the tree. Winter Olympics. Hmm. I'm going to say right for the pick and. Okay, um, I was again, wrong. I, I might lose my man card, but no. uh, <laughs> for the for what I like about the Winter Olympics, I like watching uh, uh, the uh, female figure skating. Sure, mm. 
I, just women are naturally more graceful than men. I don't like watching the dudes, but uh, <laughs> but uh, my and my wife is into it, mm. and so we usually have a favorite, usually American figure skater sure. or Chinese figure skater, and yep. I just I the rest of it I could leave on the tree, but uh, the female figure skating, I it's kind of like gymnastics in summer Olympics. Female gymnastics is always more interesting than male gymnastics. Yeah, again, just the grace. Uh, I don't know, so. I don't know if I lose my man card for that either, I, but uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't watch a ton of Winter Olympics if it's on, and I happen to, I like to watch like uh, bobsledding and yeah. the luge, I, or skeleton. I, I think it's it's just insane. Like I yeah. think like oh that'd be fun, and then reality sets in. I'm like, they're tripping yeah. like yeah. that. It's so reckless and dangerous. In Summer Olympics, I just like swimming and track, but I like swimming. Summer Olympics, I like. A lot more, yeah. But uh, but when it comes to gymnastics, we like to watch the uh, the female gymnastics, and I like to watch the swimming. I like to watch. Uh, I remember the '72 Olympics, which is one of the most mm. controversial oh, Olympics yeah. of all time. That summer, I think we just watched almost. We watched the Olympics all day. Sure. And I remember that was when Mark Spitz got his seven gold. That was when the American basketball team uh, got the silver against the USSR because they beat them, and then last minute a Russian score timekeeper said there was a minute left and then the russians scored yeah. scored and it was they beat us by one and i think when they did the layup you see the two americans have been fouled yep. laying on the ground and, and i remember hating communism ever since <laughs> where were the 72 olympics where were those old uh, munich munich that and yeah. isn't that also where like uh, yep. anyway yeah yeah terrorism and things yep. like that yep. but, yeah. yeah okay it's before my time so i always have to Look at the history annals. Yeah, it's it's probably leave it on the tree for me. My my wife uh, likes Olympics more than me, but um, if it's on, I, I will sit in the room and like glance at the TV for two minutes. Like especially if somebody's doing downhill skiing, um, sure. Um, either you know slalom or the the, the jump. Um, I I'm amused by that for like ten seconds, and then I go back to you know. Uh, reading about crypto snowboarding half pipe <laughs> i take yeah. it back snowboarding half pipe is insane as well yeah. something yeah. else that yeah. i would they hurt themselves all Wait, right go ahead. last last yeah. one for me right for the picking or leave it on the tree uh the television sitcom the office uh i would say uh right right for the picking all right yeah. uh, i really like the original british version with ricky Gervais. <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah, but I like the American My look a lot, too. my double doppelganger. Yeah, yeah. Is it, are, oh, that's what people that's say. That's what people hey, say. I mean, that Rick, yeah. Ricky Gervais and I. Now uh, that you said it. Now that you said it, <laughs> with the beard. Yeah, yeah. yeah with, with him having the beard. Yeah. I, I would say he looks like more like you than you look like mm. him. Whoa. So, but uh, I, but I haven't seen all the American, and I still need to mm. catch up. I'm just behind in a lot of watching, but yeah. I think The Office is funny. So, yeah. I. So, so right here's, the here's the moment. Um, it's it's ripe for the picking. I'm actually going to do this. Oh. Oh, it actually looks nice on the inside. I'm Batman. It, Unless you want it, Dave. It does Go look, ahead. It does look nice. See, and like, I'm looking at the texture of it, and now I'm nervous. Can you get that on camera? Here we go. All right. I'm just... It's it's pink inside. Um, oh, yeah. But All right. it's got a real... Um, earthy flavor um because because the outside is not ripe actually actually mine's quite it's sweet green is it yeah yeah mine mine's not ripe enough and so the the outside i had one like this uh a little while ago it's it's too unripe and so it kind of tastes like dirt 
So um, the texture got me a little bit. It's but. <laughs> sort of ripe. For, the office for me is um, is totally ripe for the picking. In fact, my family and I just finished watching through it a second time oh, wow. okay. last night. Um, so man, uh, do we like the office in my house? We've watched it through twice. I'll watch the office anytime it's on. Yeah. Like it's easily a top three sitcom of all time for me. Yeah. And if I'm, it, it might be before seasons eight and nine, I probably would have put it at the top for me. Um, oh, season, season nine. We actually started to understand why it's so zany. Yeah. I mean, I could do without Robert California, but other than that, oh, really? Um, I, th- I think he saves season eight, if you ask me, but anyway. His yeah, I mean, season eight is just kind of rough. But season nine, I think, makes a lot more sense. Um, so I won't go into my whole theory for why season nine uh, makes sense. But, okay. Uh, so oh, it's right oh, for the picking I'm, for you, too. Yeah. Oh, I love The Office. Yeah, it's such a good show. Uh, but yeah, I won't I won't harp on on why I think it's so good. But it is the, the character development as things go on, the different yep. dynamics of The Office and how things play out and how they you know sometimes um a sitcom goes on for a long time and it just moves forward and things from the past become completely irrelevant but they have a very clever way of oh yeah the writing is amazing putting things right back in that you forgot about and then you get the nostalgia from yep. early like it, yep. they're they're very clever yep. and i i appreciate that which well anyway parks and rec would be up there for me as well kind of along yep. the same lines uh all right. Right for the pick and leave it on the tree. And I, you know, just I like to throw food ones in there just because uh, I'm such a, a foodie person. Rhubarb. Ooh. Mm. Uh, right for the picking. Yeah. My uh, we, my uh, family in Wyoming used to grow rhubarb in their uh, gardens. Okay. And my grandma and my aunt Florabelle, who was married to my uncle Sam, used to make rhubarb pie. Mm-hmm. And uh, then my Aunt Florabel would also make rhubarb strawberry pie mm. and rhubarb cherry pie. Okay. And I think my favorite pie, actually, in the world would be a rhubarb pie with heated up with a scoop of vanilla ice cream. Mm. Okay. Uh, my mom uh, could make rhubarb pie very well, too. I remember we went to Wyoming. We're driving back to California, and... Uh, you know, I don't know if you know, when you enter California, they got these stations to check if you have any fruit mm. or vegetables. And she admitted that we had rhubarb, and the guy was going to confiscate it. And then she <laughs> Contraband. Perp- yeah, it, contraband. <laughs> so she said, well, you're just going to take it home, and your wife's going to make rhubarb pie. <laughs> so she took it, and on the, still on the Arizona side of the border. or No, I think it was the Nevada side of the border. And she walked off uh, off the road and then dumped it in the dirt, rolled it around in the dirt, <laughs> then put it back in the bag and came up back and gave it to him. And she said, if I can't have it, you can't have it. And uh, Take that. Take yeah. that. Yeah, that was yeah, that was my mom. She was... That's awesome. Yeah, Wyoming, Wyoming cowgirl. Hey. And uh, yeah, but I, yeah, I love rhubarb. That's, that's easy, easily right for the picking. For me too. Um, yeah. My, my, um, my mom and my aunt... Uh, would make um, we we love rhubarb pie, um, rhubarb and strawberry pie, yep. awesome. But also, um, we my mom and aunt made th- this thing called rhubarb dream squares. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. Which was kind of uh, like an egg white sugar top, and and it would it would kind of crisp up. But it was kind of like a lemon bar, but made with rhubarb. Yep. Okay, amazing. Yeah. I could eat an entire pan. Yep. Uh, no problem. I, yeah. I, I I know about those too. So. Yeah. I I had a rhubarb for the first time after meeting Dorothy. 
Wow. Because rhubarb is is one of her favorites. And, and I remember when she was first describing to me, she was like, it's it's like red celery. And I was yeah. like, well, why would that <laughs> yeah, taste Yeah, except good? insanely bitter. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> but, but then she was like, I'm going to... So she made a, a strawberry rhubarb crumble. Mm. Oh, yeah. I was like, all right. This is... Yeah. Yeah. So it's... I, I mean, it's, it's, it's right for the pick. I like it. Yeah. But it's not like I don't have any of that attachment to it because I, I had oh. it for the first time when I was 25. It's just, it, it, yeah. it's like, um, it's like on uh, um, what's the the, the show with Ratatouille where it, yeah. it where you, you eat it and it takes you back to your childhood. Yep. Yeah, that That's is what rhubarb does for me. Yeah. I'm like three years old and I'm eating rhubarb dream yep. squares and like oh, wow. everything in the world is right. Yeah, yeah, it's one, for me one of the ultimate comfort foods. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Exactly. Just brings me back to That's good to know. our visits to Wyoming to my grandma frying chicken and then making rhubarb pie. Sure. Yeah. Well, again, um, for our our uh, viewers, listeners, please uh, let us know about any ideas that you have for ripe for the picking or leave it under the tree. I'll use them. Mike probably already has um, a million things on his list, but my my list is um, I, I keep on getting to the end of my list so i need some ideas i have so many that i've never asked anybody <laughs> yeah it is, winter olympics that was a good one <laughs> yeah that was, that this, was this is this is my man. right for the picking or leave it wow. on the tree list yeah listeners help me out uh seriously <laughs> i need some serious help here it's, it's just going well uh dr lewis is always thanks for coming on the show with us uh it's it's always one of those things where it's like learning Greek. Just uh, as you go, you you bring a, a different nuance to the show for us, uh, a, a different direction, and and bring things to life. I, I, probably at some point, maybe we should just have you on dedicated yeah. to talk about faith in film, because uh, I think our listeners oh, would yeah. really appreciate that. Uh, any last little piece of advice that you might have for anybody that's kind of like around or maybe beginning to approach their discernment process, thinking about becoming a church worker. Yeah, I would say um, uh, talk to the people in your life whom you trust. I mean, one of the reasons I went came to the seminary was I had a lot of people tell me that I should. Yeah. My parents, pastors, uh, other people at church, family members, friends. And so if you, I would say don't just keep it to yourself, but actually mention this to your pastor, to your parents, and, uh, and listen to their counsel and their guidance. Um, in other words, likely... If there are a lot of people in your life telling you that you ought to be a pastor or a deaconess, there's a good chance you should, yep. right? That God is using those people to uh, play, put put this upon your heart, yeah. and uh, and that's that's what I that, that would be my advice. Talk to the people you trust and listen to them. That's excellent. Yep. Yep. And as always, if you're listening and and you're not thinking about it, but you're a listener and you see somebody in your congregation that you know that you think should be, yeah. do the same because again. It, you never know. Seeds yep. get planted, and uh, they go. Well, again, thank you for having. Uh, oh. Thank you for coming on and, and joining you're us. Good to be. Thank you for inviting me. It's always fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and if you're listening and you're thinking about it, and uh, let us know who you are. And in fact, uh, still going on in the link and description of the episode on the pod on the podcast or at least on the YouTube page. Uh, if you go to www.csl.edu forward slash admissions, you can get to our request for information, but the link is on the YouTube page. Uh, and if, if we don't know who you are currently and you submit your information through the page, we'll send you a copy of Sculptor Spirit by Dr. Leopoldo Sanchez. Uh, please like the episode on YouTube, uh, share it with people around you. Uh, thank you for listening and we'll see you again next time under the victory. tree.